Okay, let's get going and take a uh, handout I gave you. And before we actually turn to our passage, we have several passages I'd like to, to, uh, to go to and look at. So I need some helpers to read some passages for us. I, as we introduce this thought, I want you to consider what does the world teach you about how you need to, how you need to live? How, what does the world teach? This is not the biblical way. This is the, the opposite of that. What does the Bible, what is the, not the Bible, what does the world tell us about uh, how to decide where to do, what to do or where to go or what you should, who you should marry or what job you should take or, yeah, Laura? Follow your heart, right? Follow your heart. It's the theme of every Disney movie out there, right? Follow your heart. Do what feels right is kind of the idea, right? You just, whatever feels good must be good. Um, There's also... uh, this idea that your desires are your destiny. Okay, so how you, how you desire in your heart determines who you are. So, you know, you, you're, you're des- you have to, basically, in order to be happy, what do you need, what do you need to do? <coughs> According to the world, in order to be happy, what must you do? Appease yourself. Yeah, please yourself. Fulfill your lusts. Fulfill your flesh. You want it, you do it, right? You got to, you got to go and get it. You got to get everything. Get take every opportunity, right? That's how the world uh, teaches us, and that they they believe that the key to happiness is indulging your desires. Okay, that is, if you had to like summarize the world's view, something like that. Indul- you know, make sure you meet your desires. You see that all over the place. Um, the biblically, that is, of course, not how we are to act. What is the biblical? I call it the anatomy of the inner man. How does the Bible describe? the inner man of a person. We have, we describe the inner man. Basically, I believe that the Bible teaches that we have a material part and an immaterial part of man. There is the body, right? And there also is the inner, inner man, the part that is not necessarily the body, but we are body and soul or body and spirit. Some people say body, soul, and spirit. I won't argue that. But the idea is that there is an immaterial part and a material part of man, and we're talking about the inner part of man, not the organ that's pumping, but, but really the, the inner part of man, the heart. How does the Bible describe that? Who can read First Chronicles 28.2? Okay, Tony's got that, First Chronicles 28.2, and I want you to try to figure out what is the Bible teaching us about the inner man, about specifically about the heart? What does it involve? What's the anatomy of the inner man? Go ahead. That's perfect. That's fine. So I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the Ark of the Covenant. When he says, I had it in my heart, what is he saying? It was his desire. So the first part, if you had to say the inner part of man, the, 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 inner, uh, yeah, the inner man contains uh, desire. There is desire at the heart of man. And, and when David says, I had it in my heart, what he's saying is, is that it was one of my desires that I do this. Okay, that's fine. This is part of, but it's more than just desire. The heart is more than just desire. How about Romans 10, 9 and 10? Who can read that? Okay, yes, sir. Colin. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. With the heart, with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Okay, so if we're doing the anatomy of the inner man, and desire is one aspect of the inner man. What's another aspect of the inner man here? 
belief, right? If you, if you look at that passage, he says, with the heart, man believes, okay? So, you have your inner man are both beliefs and desires. Those are two sides of inner man. And, and so, I, I have here this explanation. I just wrote it out for you. The heart made up of what you desire, of, of what, that does not make sense, of that which you, <laughs> made up of what you desire. And see, I should have my wife look at this before I printed it. I'm so sorry. It should say the heart made up of that which you desire and that which you believe acts like a spiral or, or like a circle. It's like this. What you believe impacts what you want. This is very, very easy to demonstrate. If you watch commercials, you believe that a certain product will make you happy or successful or productive, whatever, and so you want it. You never wanted it before you believed that it would satisfy a need, right? So these things affect each other. And what you want (coughs) can actually change what you believe. Can you give me an example of that? I, I can give several, because I've been thinking about this, but... Yeah, okay, that's a classic example. Like you, uh, I'm going to take it a little bit more um, where we might live. A lot of people... That's okay. My, my, <laughs> my wife always takes it a step too far. It's okay. <laughs> you, might, you, might, um, you might want... You love your kids, and you might want them to be like in good relationship with you and you might want these things to, and then they they um they do fall into a hole and uh, of of sin and of say um secularism and they're saying and they come home and they say they're a boy they say dad i'm marrying another man okay now you have a problem is your desire your want for your relationship with your son going to change what you believe and i will tell you for many believers the answer is yes that they're they, what they want is they want to have their son in a good relationship with them. They want to believe their son hasn't walked away from God or whatever. So if you would ask them in the abstract, do you believe, like, like a year earlier, what do you believe about marriage? They would have been a bit orthodox. But because of something close to them, someone close to them changing, it changes their beliefs. So this is, that's, a, that's kind of a more serious thing. But, but how we, what we want can impact what we believe and what we believe impacts what we want. So these things impact, they affect each other, and it's like a circle or like a spiral, and that it spirals down on itself, and you can get yourself in really bad, bad places. And, and, and really, what I put here is that just as wrong thinking can lead to wrong desires, so wrong desires can lead to wrong uh, thinking. And what you believe should determine what you desire, not the other way around. Okay, what you believe should determine what you desire, but often what you desire will alter what you believe. And let me just, we're going to get to our passage in a second, but I, this is important to cover. If you, allow, if you allow your desires to determine what you believe, you're living by your desires. What's another way of, of describing this? You're living by your gut, living by your wants. And often if you're letting your desires determine what is true, you're living by the flesh rather than living by the Spirit, living by the truth of God. Okay, so this is a really, really dangerous thing. But rather than allowing your desires to determine what you believe, because these things are interacting in your inner man, 
you need to make sure your beliefs, your tr- the truth, determines what you desire. Okay, I mean, think about it like food, okay? Think about it when, you, when you're trying to teach your kids to eat good food. And you say, and, they, and they, they have a piece of cake or they have broccoli, right? And you say, you need to eat the broccoli because it's good for you. Well, to a kid, they don't, they don't think it's good for them because the cake tastes a lot better. And in their mind, because the cake tastes better, it's better than the broccoli. The broccoli is no good. But we know that a diet of cake is not going to do good. They need to have the broccoli. And so we're trying to have their, 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 their beliefs inform their wants. And guess what? As an adult, you don't walk around eating cake for every meal, do you? I don't think you do. Some of you are like, maybe. <laughs> right? Because you know you have, you have worked through this process in your mind. You've allowed your beliefs to determine what you want. You, say, you come home and you're like, I want a salad. Now, do you really want a salad? Well, sort of. Like, you also would love a, a cake, but you look at the salad and you're thinking, I need this salad because if I eat cake all the time, I know where this leads. So, so you, have a, you have grown, you have matured in this area, and our kids have not. And think about this spiritually. There's a lot of things in the spiritual world that are like that. We'll get to that in a minute. So you have to be careful not to allow your desires to determine your beliefs. You must demand your beliefs determine what you desire. And if you have wrong desires... So then you say, okay, but I I have these wrong desires. Can you help what you want? Can you help, like can you determine, can you change what you want? Or is it just the way you are? Okay, there are ways in which, there are ways in which we can't necessarily change what we want. There's some things we may want we can't change. I get that. But you can make changes in what you believe that will impact what you want. And, and it is not overnight. It is difficult. But this is, this is how we grow. This is how maturity works. This is how I'm, I've called this uh, teaching your mind to guide your heart. Because what happens is, is in the inner man, in the heart, one of these ends up playing driver. Right? One of these ends up steering. And very often is that, is that our desires end up steering the boat rather than what's true. And we've all talked to people who are mature in their faith, who, who have lost someone or have gone through a really hard time, and they're like, I don't understand this. I feel awful, but, but God has been so good. Their belief is, gar- is, is guiding them through this. So remember, the spirit and the flesh are working against each other. Uh, Galatians 5, uh, 16 and 17 briefly says, I say, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. They are contrary to each other. So you can't do the things that you want. So how do you teach your mind to, guard, to guide your heart? Well, look at these three verses. Who can look at uh, John 14, 1 uh, for me? And then, okay, Cassie, and then who can read Luke 25, uh, 24, 25 through 27? Okay, Laura, you got that? Oh, you have the next one, Psalm 15? Oh, you have the first one, I'm sorry. You'll do Psalm 15. Who can do Luke 24, 25 through 27? Okay, Charles. Let's look at, let's look at John 14 first. John 14, 1. Notice what Jesus says. Go ahead. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Oh, this is so interesting. Jesus says, don't let your heart, your inner man, be troubled, be upset. What's the answer to the troubled or upset heart? Trusting God. You believe in God, believe also in me. So the blank is, when your heart is troubled, you inform it. 
you inform it with faith. He says, believe in God. You must put a priority. You must elevate faith. You believe in God, believe also in me. Our culture today has elevated fleshly desire and emotions over truth statements and faith. But we must go back to this. Now, look at this next passage. How does Luke 24, 25 through 27, Jesus again rebuking a couple people on the road to Emmaus? Yes, sir. So what does he call them? Slow of heart. They're foolish because they're slow of heart to what? To believe. And then how does, he, how does he address their lack of belief? He teaches them. He opens the word of God and he says, let me show you from God's word all these things. And so he expounds to them how the, the Christ had to die. You see, that's what he does. He, he says, you were slow to believe. Let me show you from the God's word what is true. Okay, the next one, Psalm 15 one and two. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy <coughs> He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. Okay. Um, he who, this, this one who is a, an honorable person to the Lord, he walks uprightly, he works righteousness, and in his heart, what does he do? He speaks truth. So he, he speaks the truth to himself in his own heart. Now let's go to Psalm 42. And this is the passage that I, I, I just have um, really appreciated this passage more and more the more I study it. And uh, this psalm is a wonderful psalm and one that I think is often misunderstood. So let's look there together and I think we'll walk through this. I just have a bunch of blanks for you to fill out, Psalm 42. And I want you to help me figure these out. Um... Psalm 42, 1 through 4. Let's do the bullet points, and then we'll come back for that main point, okay? So let's look at verse 1. Who can read Psalm 42, 1? Okay, Jenna. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Okay, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. I've actually talked about this verse before, and Matt's story told me that um, uh, often uh, deer, when they're, when they're dying, they're looking for water. They're panting for, for water. This is not a, uh, the, you know, we have this song we sing. The kids, a lot of times the teenagers sing this song. Or we'll sing it in church. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. It's almost this idea of this emotional, lovey, like I love the Lord so much, my soul just longs for you. This, this verse is actually a cry of desperation. The blank there is inner life of turmoil. This is someone who's facing an inner life of turmoil. As a deer pants for water, my soul pants for you. What is that saying about, about his, has he found God? No. He's looking for God. He's in turmoil. In fact, if you keep reading, look at verse 2. Who can read verse 2? Okay, Jimmy. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. There's actually spiritual doubts here is what I have here in the blank, spiritual doubts. When shall I come and appear before God? He doesn't know where God is. And if you keep reading, you see in verse 3, 
Who can read verse 3? Okay, yes, sir. Chris, go ahead. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Okay, who's, who's saying that? Who's the they? His enemies? Are they believers? No, probably unbelievers, right? So I say mocked by unbelievers. He says, I, I'm, I'm not in a good place right now. Uh, my tears have been my food day and night. They continually say to me, where is your God? Um, he desires God, and it feels like he's nowhere to be found. So I put, um, look at verse 4, one more. Verse, who can read that? Yes, ma'am, Valerie. Okay, so here he's remembering the past. He's saying, I, I remember the old days. It was a lot better in the old days. Um, I, used, I used to go with a big crowd, and now I'm by myself. I used to have a multitude of people into a feast, and now I'm hungry. I'm, uh, my tears are my food. So he is going through inner turmoil. This is a picture of the first blank there. It's a picture of a discouraged person. I want, I want that to be clear. This is a picture not of someone who's like got a great spiritual high. This is a discouraged person. And I think some of us have been there before. When you feel this and you're like, you know, I, things used to be better. Uh, I don't know where God is. I can't find God in my life right now. I, I'm doubting He's good to me. And I'm being, I, my decisions are being mocked by other people, perhaps. And you are thinking about the past. So, so the next blank I want you to see is the answer, an answer for a discouraged person. What's the answer for a discouraged person? I'm going to read these verses uh, for us. And we're going to start in verse 5. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, for he is the help of my countenance. Three things. Number one is a question the discouragement. He, the, the hope comes when you question the discouragement. You, you, you show that it's, it's not reasonable. Why are you cast down over my soul? Why are you disquieted? Disquieted means like uh, uh, in a turmoil. It means upset. It means loud and obnoxious. My kids are disquieted in the house, right? They're not quiet. They're disquieted. <laughs> they, are, they are obnoxiously loud sometimes. That's what's in our heart where you can't think, where your mind is going, where your heart is racing, and you say, I don't know what's going on. The hope for the answer for a discouraged person is, number one, question the discouragement. Say, what am I doing being discouraged? Don't I remember who God is? Don't I remember how good God is? Question it. Don't allow it to take a deep seat in your heart. You must question the discouragement. Number two, you'll notice, is that you direct your hope toward God. And this is really key. He says, hope in God. He does not hope in himself. He does not say, I'm strong enough to make it through this. That's the advice I hear a lot of people give people when they're going through a hard time. You will be okay. You will make it. Point people to God. Say, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for he is the help of his countenance. What's he focusing on this last couple lines here? He's not focusing on the past. What is he focusing on? The future. Yes, he's future-minded. What does anxiety and what does depression tell you about the future? 
There's no hope. It's over. You're done. It's only in the past. Every, all the future is, you don't even, the future is dark and empty and done. No, the, the, the truth is the future is glorious. So you hope in God, for I shall yet praise him. There is hope for the future. So you must, you must question the discouragement, direct your hope towards God, and think about the future. Those are your, those are your answer here. Now, what's the prayer for a discouraged person? Look at verses 6 through 10. I'm going to read this for uh, lack of time here, okay? Let's look at verse 6. He says, Oh my soul, oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls, and all your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and at night his song shall be with me a prayer to the God of my life. Number one, I want you to notice that he, he says in verse 6 here, once again, we remember God. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Remember God. I will remember you from the land of Jordan. When you see the word remember, often in the Old Testament, the, the key idea of remembrance is, is building a monument to something. It's like in the book of Joshua when they built those stones and the point of building the stones was to say, what do these stones mean? So they could go and tell the story about what these stones meant. It's to call to remembrance. And today we use this word memorial in our language in English um, to have the idea of a memorial stone to remember someone's life. Monuments to remember someone's life. Remember God. Number two, understand the circumstances come from God's hand. This is in verse 7. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. It's the picture that God, even these circumstances, have come from your hand. And then in verse 8, he will trust his faithfulness always. Trust God's faithfulness always. The Lord will command loving kindness in the daytime. Okay, loving kindness. Does anybody have a different translation for that word? Verse 8. Yeah, we have covenant love. Anybody have mercies? Steadfast love? Yeah, faithful love. This is a very, uh, it's a very key, important Hebrew word. We talk about it often. And the Hebrew word is the word chesed. And when you, uh, when you understand chesed as it is the, the promised love of God for his people, the, the, the promised love of God is, is his covenant that he makes with us that will always be good. And his covenant that he makes with us is his hesed. And this is such an important thing. It's that when he recalls this, he's remembering God's promises to him that will be faithful. And so whenever you see the word loving kindness or covenant love or mercy, you can check a lot of times your Bible will have a note about this. But he says, he says I will, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and at night his song will be with me. His remembrance is he's remembering all about God's faithfulness in these times of difficulty. If you look at verse 9, he kind of reverts back a little bit, and he says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of my enemies? At the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? When I was looking at this passage, I believe what this is in the, in the flow here. He's still praying to God, and I think this teaches us we ought to speak to God. That's your last blank there. You ought to speak to God. Take your problems to God. 
He goes directly to God. He doesn't go to anybody else. He says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? He goes directly to God. And then at the end, we, revert, we go back to verse 11, which is the same as verse 5. What does he say? Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's like saying, hey, self, hey, soul, what are you doing? Why are you broken down? Why are you cast down? Why are you disquieted? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. This is the key. I shall yet praise him. It's the focus on the future. This is the key idea behind, I believe, real lasting change, is that we, when we face desires, when we face complications in our feelings, we have to inform our desires with truth and not follow our desires wherever they might go. Um, I often describe, when we do counseling, I describe our emotions are a lot like the engine of our life. They give you, you know, they, they give you power to, to do things. If you don't have any emotions about something, it's very difficult to, to get up and do something. But, you know, the problem is you can't live by your emotions, right? It's like having, it's like taking a balloon, blowing it up, and then letting it go. What happens to that balloon? Where does it go? All over, yeah, it just bounces all over the room, right? Because it has no rudder, it has no guidance, it has no direction at all. And a lot of people are like that. They're up and down, they're left and right. They're living by their feelings and their emotions, and wherever their feelings take them, they go. And it's very dangerous because that's living by the flesh, literally. You're living by your feelings, by your flesh, and by your desires and your heart, rather than allowing God to funnel your desires and direct your desires where they ought to go. Um, desires themselves are, are, in fact, the word lust in the Bible, epithumia in the New Testament, the word lust can either be good or bad. So if you, in, your, in your English translation, sometimes it's translated desires, sometimes it's translated lusts. And lust always has a negative connotation to us, but biblically it's the same word. The idea is this, it, there's nothing wrong with wanting something. It's, it's, it's do you, are your desires right or wrong? And are your desires uh, informed by your beliefs? Do you want what's good? Or have you allowed your heart to want what's evil? Because if you don't believe this, you will find yourself wanting really perverted and wrong things. We see this in Romans 1. People who deny God, what happens to their desires? Romans chapter 1, remember this? They, 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 they suppress the knowledge of God, and they worship idols, and they become immoral, and they, they, they involve in all kinds of uh, ignorance and morality, and they end up exchanging the natural use uh, for the unnatural use of sexuality, right? So they end up men with men and women with women. How does that happen? Why don't they get to wanting that? Well, they've changed. They, they don't believe the right things, and it drives them to wanting the wrong things, which then changes what they believe to be true, and it's just a vicious cycle. So you have to commit yourself to believing what is true and speaking truth to yourself. So the way, I, the way I like to say it is, stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Okay, stop, stop listening to your, yourself and start speaking truth into your life. And I think that that can generally help us, in a big picture, make the right decisions. Okay, comments, questions, or thoughts? We, we have a few minutes here at the end. I'd love to get any feedback or, or, or questions or, or disagreements or whatever. That's fine. Yeah, Jenna? Yeah, so delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you 
the desires of your heart. So if you delight yourself in the Lord, if you believe what is good, God will give you good gifts. God does not give bad gifts. This is the other thing. If we delight ourselves in that which is evil, will God give us evil gifts? No. God will, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and from the Father of lights. So we delight ourselves also in the Lord, and He will get. And some people, like I know what Jen is saying, sometimes there's this idea in some, some Christian circles that, well, if I want it, it must be evil. Like, you know, I really want, uh, um, I don't know, I want to marry that girl, but uh, I don't know, you know, it must be, must be the wrong person then if I want, want to marry, you know what I'm saying? Or I want to, uh, I want to uh, uh, buy a car, well, it must be a bad desire, you know, if I want it, I have to do something I don't want. You know, I don't know, people have different, uh, different weird uh, takes on that. The idea is if you're delighting yourself in the Lord, God will give you the desires of your heart because you're delighting yourself in Him, the, the good, they're good gifts, and they're not twisted evil gifts. Good, good comment. Yeah, Tim. Uh, two things. Uh, one, I, I, I'm so thankful that uh, I'm part of a body that almost every day, especially on Wednesdays and Sundays, that people will speak truth into my life because I really need those things. Amen. And that's the purpose of, uh, part of the reason to gather. The discouragement part, which happens every time He said, in case you couldn't hear him, he said every time he's discouraged, he's realized that it's not, it's because he hasn't taken inventory of the goodness, uh, good things God has given. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I was um, thinking about when you're talking about your wants changing your beliefs, and I thought about Eve, that when she <coughs> saw the fruit, and she saw that it was good to eat, and it was delightful, you know, delightful to look at, and it was desired to make one wise, then that did change, and I think that caused her to think, well, God doesn't have my best interest Right. And so that did change what she did. Right, right. They, they, they always, uh, and, and the uh, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life was all in, in, involved there with Eve's sin in the garden. And it, what she wanted changed what she believed about God. So it was no longer God has my best interest in mind. It's that God is holding something back from me, and I need to disobey him to get what I need. Uh, someone else is going to, yeah, Colin. And there's an element, too, with, you know, Maybe some folks having the wrong conception that if I'm being tempted for something or I have that desire, I'm sinning. Right. Confusing temptation with the sin. Now, that's always going to be there to some degree. The flesh wants to be against the spirit. But ideally, by believing the right things, delighting ourselves in the Lord, we're consistently reducing the power of those desires, I guess. So it's not that they're going to go away, per se, but ideally the strength of those temptations goes away as the love of God Yeah. Yeah, you will have wrong desires, right? We all have sinful desires, and we have to be careful not to let those sinful desires take, take seed in our heart when lust that's conceived it brings forth sin, as we saw from James. Uh, but not every desire is sinful. That's the thing, right? But there are sinful desires, and we have to be careful. Yes, Helen? Okay. I could afford it, and but I needed to drive back and forth to work, and to me, I kind of asked the Lord, "Is this the right one?" <laughs> Since this is not practical, mm -hmm. going back and forth to work, 
and it's a lot of maintenance, it's costly. I ended up buying a Ford and it lasted me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and you, do, you do have to be wise. I'm not saying that everything you desire is right. I mean, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and sometimes you'll find that you have to ask yourselves, what am, what, why do I want what I want? Because sometimes it's for the wrong reasons. Like sometimes the reason you want that Lexus is because you want to keep up with your next-door neighbor who has a Lexus, and you're thinking, well, I've got to have a Lexus. I mean, this, have, you don't, we don't realize how much these kinds of things play into our decision-making. Well, I've got to have one of those. They got one. I got to get one. I got to have a nicer one, you know. Why, why do you need, if you are making good, sound, biblical decisions, there's nothing wrong, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a desire and, and letting God fulfill that desire. I think, um, uh, but that's a funny, yeah, that's good. Good, that's true, though. You have to be careful why you want certain things. There were some other hands, too. Yeah, Jimmy? Yeah, I think he did a great job in explaining society, all tend to let their beliefs go aside from the Word of God in accepting things that are modernized or mm-hmm. come around. Uh, and you, you covered in Romans, I think, uh, uh, the lust of men and women. Yep. Hey, a lot of churches now are struggling with homosexuality as well as society in itself. And, and it's because they have their own beliefs of what the Bible says. Yep. God gives us direction exactly on those areas, and as well as other areas of our life. And I think that's an area that we've got to stay our belief on what God tells us through His Word. A- absolutely. And even, even we can dial it back uh, one from that. How about just... Um, how about just premarital uh, sexual relations between uh, uh, people who are not, you know, people not married? They say, well, we're going to get married. You know, we love each other, and we love God, and God doesn't mind. You know, he'll understand. These kinds of things, they're, they're, what they want is changing what they believe. They're allowing their heart and their emotions to get the best. Instead of saying, look, I know, that's the thing, is when you're mar- getting married to someone, when you're engaged to someone, do you want to do that? Absolutely. Why else would you be mar- engaged to them? But the desire needs to be held in check by the truth of God's word. You say, I don't, you know, I don't care what you desire. The truth of God's word is, is that you need to follow God's plan for your life, and God will be honored by that. And so that, that's just another example. There are many times in, where you may want to say something. You may be a very angry person. You may want to really give somebody a piece of your mind. And it may make you feel really good in a moment. It may be a want, but you say, you know what would honor God right now is to show patience and love to that person, right? So there are many times when you can exercise. It's not just in sexual things, but in our speech, in our conduct with our children, our conduct with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, in our, in our, in our giving, and every, everything we do in this life ought to be based in truth, determines what we want, not want determines what we believe. Sound, sound good? All right, let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how it directs us in these very practical day-to-day things. I pray you give us guidance every day that we could walk with you and, and live with you according to your plan, your truth. I pray you would help us to uh, inform our hearts by the truth of the word of God, as you said, If our hearts are troubled, we need to believe in you and believe in your plan for us. Help us to cry out to you and to speak to you directly uh, when our hearts are troubled. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. God bless you. Have a great night.